Good day to you, and welcome to the podcast for the Union Street Meeting House. In this podcast, we will be sharing messages from our weekly worship services. Union Street Meeting House is a Christian ministry that introduces people of all ages to Jesus Christ and recalls those who once knew Him back into an intimate, vibrant, living relationship with Him. We are a house for Christian fellowship and personal growth. You are always welcome here at Union Street Meeting House. Let's go into this week's message right now. Welcome to Union Street Meeting House. We talk about that. We're family here, and uh, we want this to be a family atmosphere and environment and uh, not worry about all the, the imperfections that we always have because only God makes us perfect anyway. Amen. 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 Well, bless you. Happy New Year to you. Everybody have a good New Year? Yeah? Good holiday? Good Christmas? Yes, very blessed. Good to see you. Uh, always on this, uh, on this New Year's, uh, there, was a, there was a time, in, I guess for me, that I would kind of uh, be negative about New Year's resolutions and be... Kind of like, uh, oh, it's just another day, and I'll be all grumpy about it and all that kind of thing. And then I believe about five years ago, the Lord quickened my heart on that and said, hey, hey, it's okay. You know, there's new beginnings. It's all about new beginnings. With Christ, everything is about a new beginning. And then, and then I felt like he quickened my heart to say, it's okay to have a starting place. It's okay to have a place to, to reset, if you may, to restart. And... And what's wrong with a calendar year, especially one that's, that's uh, um, even traced through the annals of time by, by Christ and his birth. And so we, we enter this new year. And, and so I've learned that it's a good thing to stop and, and have some time of reflection. It's a good thing to stop and talk about the new year. And um, we were away for a few days in Western Maryland and... Actually, as I sat looking out the window of the cabin, I noticed that the trees over there, or up there, if you may, in the mountains, they've let go of all their leaves. How many of you noticed this year there seems like more leaves on the, off the trees than there's ever been before? Does anybody live in the woods? We do. And I can tell you there are more leaves than ever. But even around here, the trees have not fully given up their leaves yet. But when we were sitting up at the cabin in the mountains where it's probably colder, all the leaves, all the trees had given up their leaves. And I thought about the tree and how it was designed to adapt and, and the, how it was designed to weather the actual seasons. And we know that the sap goes down and the tree kind of gives up for the winter and it kind of says, hey, I need to... I need to get my roots strong and keep my roots strong to survive another season. And I do. I think there's a message with that. I think Jesus, in many of his parables, it's about agriculture. And, and that's a great lesson for us in life. And then I thought about something that uh, was pretty amazing that Pastor Bill has always taught about and others as well, that there's fruit. And fruit is excess life of the tree. And when a tree is hurt or damaged, it won't produce fruit. But when it's healthy, it produces fruit. And in the fruit, fruit contains seed. That's what we've learned. I mean, if you've been in the orchard for the last seven years, you would know that fruit contains its own seed. And when that seed hits the ground, it begins to do something new. Amen. And in fact, uh, Pastor Bill's not here this morning. Um, his daughter-in-law, who now is kind of in a, a, a joined house with him, uh, has COVID. And, and so he thought it best not to come out this morning. And, and he doesn't have it. He feels fine, but he just didn't, he wanted to be cautious. But when we talked last night and had a visit, he reminded me that the white oak, which is, which is very dominant around here, not so much anymore because in Milton itself was a big community that made boats and ships. And the choice wood for that was the white oak. And so we don't have as much white oak around here as we once did because they used it up. But if you have a white oak tree, it does not give up its leaves until the new leaf comes in and pushes it off. That's right. I thought that's a great analogy. 
that some of us have some leaves on us that I'm getting into the sermon already. Isn't that good? That some of us have some leaves that need to be pushed off for this new year that that we don't really want to let go of. But God wants us to let go of them so we can have new new fruit, if you may. And so I think that's amazing. But it also made me begin to think about something else that we have a tendency. Now, this is just me. I'm not asking you to agree with me because I really haven't, I really haven't thought it out completely yet because it just hit me a few days ago. But we think of spring as the new life. We think of spring as the time when the new sprouts are coming up and, and new growth is coming up. And, and we think of that as, as a new season, a new life. And I don't know what it was, but I felt like... I felt like that maybe God was saying, no, 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 no. What you see as death, I see as life. When, the, when that tree is dropping the acorn, that's the beginning of the cycle. That's the origin of the life. It's already in there and it's contained. Sure, it doesn't sprout until the spring, but God is at work and things are going on. And then when you think about that, that may be true in your life. You may be in a place where you feel like it's winter, where you can't, where nothing's happening. But I assure you that God is at work. He is always at work. He never rests, the Bible says. And so I love that. And I I want us to ponder that today as we go through. um, And I'll share in a little bit about the book of Joshua. But I want you to be thinking about that, that this is winter. And it seems maybe, in fact, we're supposed to get snow tomorrow. And some people, Steve and Teresa, are applauding that. (laughs) And some people, like Colby and I, are kind of wishing no. And, uh, but the kids are going to be happy if we get 8 to 12 inches of snow, is what some are saying. Yeah, there you go. But you know, winter is a time, and it is a time for us now. And I, I, I want to set this this morning to you, even before we worship, that it's a time that God does not waste anything. He is at work, and He is working And the cycle of life and death is all part of what we do. And we know as as born-again believers that, yes, there is this term that we use as death, but we have eternal life. And it's actually the beginning. That's just the acorn that fell for the new life. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? I hope so. Anyway, so I'll, I'll be quiet for a few minutes, but I want you to ponder that this morning that, that this is not a time of blues. This is not a time to, to be negative or get, get the blahs or, or, or whatever you want to call it for winter. God has a plan for our lives and sometimes winter is part of that. And sometimes winter is the preparation for what he's getting ready to do. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's jump right in this morning. I've been pondering the book of Joshua uh, it's been in my heart for some time, actually, and I've been reading in and out of it and, and have decided that God really wants me to work on that. But I'm not prepared yet to share all that, and I need to prepare more. But there is something out of Joshua that I want to share this morning. Um, and, and I believe uh, that there's much in Joshua that will resonate, actually, with the birth of Union Street Meeting House and our ministry here and the journey I believe God has us on. I'm not quite ready to share it all yet, but I would like to dive into this. Uh, Open your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. And we talked previously, or I did, I should say. I talked previously about the trees, and we talked about what we see as perhaps death, and and how God's plan is that really is life. And and so we see some things going on in Joshua. And before we read chapter 3, let me just share a few details for review that are ahead of chapter 3. We know that Moses leads God's people out of Egypt. We all know about the Exodus and, what, and what's going on there. And we know those stories pretty well. And, and we know also that God's people can't help themselves but to gripe and complain. Sometimes that's the wrong identity of God's people. And sometimes I fit that identity. And I need to work on that. Amen? That'd be a part where you say, I do too. Hallelujah. 
And then judgment falls on God's people, and then they have to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. And he says, hey, you're not going to see the promised land. Enough is enough. But God always keeps his promises. Listen, he always keeps his promises. If God's given you a promise because it's not come to fruition yet, you need to hang on. God is keeping his promises. And then we see that Moses dies. In fact, God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. And then Joshua assumes the command and the leadership. And now the Israelites are finally ready to move into the promised land. And that's where we'll start reading this morning, Joshua 1 through 17. I'm sorry, Joshua 3, verse 1 through 17. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with a Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Some of us are going places this year that we've not passed before. Verse 5, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10. And Joshua said, By this you will know that the living God is among you, that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, and the Prezerite, and the Gerashite, and the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The key verse that I want you to read this morning is, uh, is, is verse 11. And it says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all creation is crossing over ahead of you. If you don't have a word for 2022 yet, then make this your word. That the Lord is going before you. And you need to fix your eyes on him. That you need to behold the ark of the covenant. Now, we talk about the Old Testament and the Ark of the Covenant, but in the New Testament, there's a representation of the Ark of the Covenant that comes as a baby and grows up as a man and goes to the cross and to the grave and from the grave to the sky, and His name is Jesus. And so if you don't have a word this morning, let me share with you to hold on to that word. Joshua says, 
Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you. And I thought that was a good word this morning for 2022. But today I want to talk to you about another message and the spirit of thinking about a new year and perhaps a new walk with the Lord. I felt led that we actually get ourselves back to the basics. Many times when a sports team wants to reset and find themselves, they will get back to the basics or, or they will work on what they call the fundamentals. The blocking, the tackling, the dribbling, whatever the sports is, the hitting, the catching. They will go through and they will work on fundamentals and they will make sure that they do the important things well. They will review the film or as they say, watch the tape to see how they are doing. They will examine themselves so that they can prepare themselves for the next step. And whatever they do or they don't do, the coaches always tell them that you got to make sure that you do the fundamentals. If you want to be successful, you need to do the fundamentals. And the Bible tells us that we should examine ourselves from time to time. And we should see how we are doing. And for us, we have the greatest standard the world has ever known with which to watch tape, if you may, and see how we are doing, especially when it comes to the fundamentals. This morning, we will look at the master and we'll see what he has to tell us about the fundamentals. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And this we know as the, the Sermon on the Mount or or what they call the Beatitudes. And many think this sermon from Jesus is just the Beatitudes in chapter 5. Uh, but it is not. It's actually the entirety of chapters 5, 6, and 7 when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. I would encourage you that we might spend some time in that in the future here to maybe share that as a, a study or a devotion that you might want to look at over the next few weeks. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are his, his entirety of his Sermon on the Mount is, is probably, in fact, what is the greatest sermon ever given. But today we're going to focus only in five because we want to look at tape. We want to review the fundamentals. Let's read Matthew 5, 1 through 20. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again and is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of these least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you this morning for your word, Lord God. We thank you that it pierces our heart, Lord God. We, Like the song that we just sang, Lord, would you soften our heart that we might receive it. Lord, let us not be like the hard pan soil that cannot receive a seed, but Lord, let us, let us have a heart that receives your word and receives the seed of life that you've given us. Lord, speak to us this morning that we might examine ourselves and see ourselves how you've made us and what you desire and require and request of us, Lord God. Let us be different when we leave here today, Lord God, than when we came. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So now before we dive into uh, chapter 5, I want to take you back just a step. And I'm going to read uh, in chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 12. So we've spent some time, we spent some time at Christmas talking about the birth of Christ and and how he came. And so, you know, when I was praying about, God, what do you want to say for the new year? And, and, and where do you want us to go? I really did feel like his message to me was, Tim, the church needs to get back to fundamentals. And that we are walking through this thing and we've lost the ability to have the fundamentals and we don't even really know it. And then we read in Joshua to keep your eye on the ark. Behold, look before you and go where it goes. And so I felt like the Lord was saying that, hey, there is no better example than the master himself and Jesus Christ and what he has to say. And we see in chapter 4, starting in verse 12, is where actually Jesus begins his ministry. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum which is by the sea in the region of Zebulon, the Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the Isaiah, the prophet. And I've said this before, that everything about Jesus' birth even, even the small details is to fulfill the prophetic word that God has told us. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. You know, I, I'm excited about the Word and, and that we should be miners of the Word, that we should dig down and drill down and look deeper always. And especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you have this tendency to gloss over it and glance over it because you've been there and you've done that. But you know, how many times do you go back and you find something if you just look a little deeper? And Jesus begins His ministry. And it says, 14, this was to fill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness now saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of God or heaven is at hand. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And here's what I love. They didn't argue. They didn't talk about things. The Bible says immediately they left their nets and followed him. And I think this is a word for us. Sometimes we get a word from God, and we want to we just run it around and run it around and run it around. But God's looking for somebody to get up immediately and go with him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father, father and followed him. And again, we see this word immediately. And what is God saying to you this morning? Have you been holding on to something for a very long time because you don't trust him to step out into it? I don't know. Verse 23, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee. Look what he was doing. He was teaching in their synagogues and he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread through all of Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25, large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. 
And we've talked about this. If you allow Jesus to work in your life, others will be drawn to what they, what they see because actually they want to learn more about Jesus. They think they want to learn more about you and why you're behaving or, or why you do the things you do. And so they'll ask you what that's all about. But in, in reality, they're looking for Jesus. Every person has a hole in their heart that needs to be filled by Christ. There's no doubt in my mind. And we live in a world, as Paul said, that's upside down, that, that's gone all to pieces because they're looking for answers other than Christ. And we review these proclamations this morning. I want you to notice something, that Jesus is teaching and he's proclaiming and he's healing. And to me, that should be our church. We should be teaching we have the orchard that does the teaching and we do the proclaiming and we need to do the proclaiming, not just from the pulpit. This is your job to tell people about what God has done for you. And then the church needs to be all about healing, physically, emotionally, mentally. We have a world now where every other commercial has something to do with mental illness. Have you noticed? And it's real. Satan is destroying everyone one by one. And Jesus has the answer of healing their minds through this book even and through the work that he did. Amen? And if you allow Jesus to work in your life, I will assure you others will be drawn to it. And when we review these proclamations this morning, I want you to notice something. Jesus is talking about the identity of a person. When we get into the Beatitudes, it's not necessarily the action of a person. He is talking about who they are, not necessarily what they do. Now, the last two, he will talk about uh, an action that happens to them because of them of following Christ, because of you following Christ. But he's talking about the nature of the person the identity of a person when he's talking about these Beatitudes. Yes, the actions will follow, but at the heart of everything you do is the identity of you. And Pastor Bill would say, if you want to see what's in somebody's bucket, shake the bucket and see what comes out. Sometimes it's not always pretty. But Jesus wants to get to a place where we're pretty, where he can shake the bucket and we'll do the right things. He's talking about who they are, not what they do. It's their identity. And this morning, that's my question to you. What's your identity? Who are you really? It's a great time to watch film, if you may, on yourselves as we read the word and what it's saying to you or about you or, or how do you stack up or what does this scripture of the Beatitudes reveal to you about you? I'm not here to talk about others. We're here to grow ourselves. We're here to learn from God, to hear from Him that He will change our hearts to make things better. Romans 12, 2 tells us that you do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Good and acceptable and perfect. This word and the author of this word is what will renew your minds this morning. So we'll look at the Beatitudes this morning and what we call the Beatitudes. And, and as they say, it's, it's, uh, you need to be these attitudes. But I'm telling you there's more to it that Jesus is talking about what's in the heart of the person. In verse 3, and he says, The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what is the poor in spirit? It's the humble. That's all that means. It means a, a person who's poor in spirit is not haughty. They're not proud in their spirit. They're not, the Pharisees were proud of their spirituality. God's looking for a humble people. He's looking for people who aren't worried about what others think about them, only what he thinks about them. Not those who are proud in spirit, but the ones who have humility, what we call genuine humility. How do you stack up on that this morning? Verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And those who mourn, they mourn for the hurt of others, or perhaps even their own loss at that time. I've, I've done a few funerals, and 
And I do, I use this scripture because I want you to know that when you're mourning, God is comforting. If you are mourning this morning, God is comforting. And if you can't feel his comfort, you need to step into it. It is there. It is there for you. Or they, they hurt and mourn for a world that's without Jesus. Again, it was brought up that we're in an upside down world right now. You know, if you watch a TV commercial, there's a lot as a Christian that you can be upset about. But you know, you have to be careful that you're not on that surface level of being upset about that. I'm talking to myself, just so you know. I need to be careful that I just don't get angry about all that stuff. Because those people are hurting and dying. They do not have hope. They do not have Christ. And that when a person doesn't understand their gender, that person is hurting. There's no other answer for it. They're deceived. And sometimes I can be brash or hard about that, but Christ has to deal with me and say, no, Tim, you need to see them as I see them, with compassion. We need to see a hurt and dying world so that we can be the response to give them hope, to give them Jesus, because he is the hope. Amen? Yeah. In verse 5, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. I need a lot of practice on this. To be gentle, to be not harsh or not cold or not rude or not brash. We need to be gentle in our hearts. We sang this morning, Lord, soften our hearts. Help our hearts be soft enough that we have compassion. I don't know where it came from, but when the kids, when the grandkids kind of get fussing with each other, I will say these words. I will say, be ye kind. And I will say to you, church, this morning, be ye kind. Be ye gentle. I think of a hound with her newborn pups and how she's so soft and gentle with him. If you've ever seen a, a dog with her pups when they're born, they're just gentle. They're just loving and soft with them. Not so when they're weaning them. But at that moment, they're just gentle with them. And this is what the Lord is speaking about in us as Christians. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are the people that have a propensity to know and do what's right. They want to be holy because He is holy. They wake up in the morning and they say, God, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to surrender to what you want me to surrender to. And I want to see righteousness in all circumstances. In verse 7, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I just read that. I'm sorry. 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. These are the folks that are apt to give mercy. They're inclined not to administer strong judgment or justice. They have mercy. When Jesus has the prostitute brought to him and he writes on the ground, I don't know what he writes, but he's writing, I have mercy. And he tells her, go and sin no more. He doesn't judge her. Not harsh with that judgment. They tend to give the benefit of the doubt to others. If you're a grandparent, you have mercy. And what I mean by that, when you're a parent, you have a little less mercy on the youngins. You want to administer strong justice when they misbehave. But, oh my, when they run to my mom, and say, my mom, and tears are flowing down their face, even though they've just hit their brother or sister or done something bad, oh, she picks them up, and she has mercy, mercy. Oh, don't you punish this little boy. He's my boy. You understand what I'm saying? This is mercy. God wants us to have mercy on people. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I think of this, when I think of the pure of heart, they haven't let the junk of the world contaminate them. The junk of this world desires to contaminate you. The enemy wants to throw everything he can at you 
to contaminate your heart to keep you from being pure. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And those folks, they see the best in everyone and everything. They see hope. They tend to see a person as Jesus does. Do you see a person as Jesus does? Do you have pureness in your heart where you want to tend to see the best of that person even in their worst circumstance? We're watching tape this morning and I'm encouraging you to examine yourselves and see what God is saying to you. We want to see people as Jesus sees them. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Those who go out of their way to make peace. They'll sacrifice their time, money, or resources to help others reconcile or to have peace. And, you know, I think every, every person we know has gifts from God. And every person, I believe, has a ministry. And it isn't always right here in these little buildings or big buildings as some of them are now. Your ministry is where you are and where God takes you and what he's doing in your life. But I do think of Pastor Bill on this when it talks about a peacemaker and how many marriages that he has sat down with and led folks to really focus on Christ so that their marriage can be reconciled. And that should be the ministry of every one of us. I've had the blessing of, of approaching a, a couple who was set on divorce and knocking on a door and thinking, Lord, this is crazy. I don't know why you have me here, but I'm knocking on this door. And when the man came to the door, I basically said, I don't really know what to say, but I'll tell you this. God desires your marriage to be whole. And if you're open to listen, I'm open to talk to you about it. And he stepped out on the stoop and we talked. That's a peacemaker. You're looking to reconcile others. Listen, this is not to be confused with a peacekeeper. Some of you have a peacekeeper spirit. In other words, you'll do anything as long as nobody's complaining or fussing or everybody's okay or, or, or you know, you're trying to create a situation where nobody's mad or upset. That's a peacekeeper. That's not of God. You need to trust the Lord with those circumstances. That's called a doormat. You're not a doormat. Christians are not a doormat. We turn the other cheek, but God has a purpose and plan for us, and we're peacemakers. We should have the desire to go to those who are in trouble and help them. And Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we see actually verse 10, 11, and 12. There's a little twist here going on. Because Jesus knows what's going to happen to him. And he knows what's going to happen to those who follow him. And just this week on Facebook, there was a meme going around or a, a, the story of the disciples and how they were all martyred except John. And it was profound. And John was boiled in oil to make a lamp out of his body, but he survived that and was sent to the island of Patmos. Verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And 11 goes with it. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We're not necessarily talking about just people falsely accusing you of things. We're talking about how the world hates the Lord and hates Christians and they will make up stories and they will be false about you. In verse 12, he tells us, Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember we talked about last week when, when Simeon was at the temple and Jesus was being there to be presented and to be circumcised and being presented to the Lord. Simeon says to Joseph and Mary this, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many 
and as a sign to be opposed. And we know that it's somewhat of a thermometer for us as Christians that when uh, the world is upset or we've upset their apple cart, so to speak, because of Christ, that's not such a bad thing. God's not calling us to be obnoxious. He's not calling us to be in people's faces and be rude, crude, and brash. We've just learned that above. But what he is calling us to do is to give a message of truth. And how many of you know the world don't always want that truth? And they're opposed to that truth. You see very little commercials talking about truth these days. They're trying to sell you something always. And it isn't just a product. They're selling lifestyle now. And it should be somewhat of a thermometer to you, to us, that walk in Christianity, that sometimes we do upset the world's apple cart and we not, need not apologize for that. Jesus was assigned to be opposed. In other words, he came and he was opposed. And we know that story. And then we see in verses 3 to 12, we have a list that Jesus identifies those who are blessed or those who are completed with something or they're rewarded in the Lord. But in these verses now, we begin to transition into Christ's expectation of his followers and, and Christ's vision for his followers of what we should be and what we should look like. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 20. If you can, read along with me. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And so listen, you're in a church, and now, Tim, you're going to pick on churches. Yeah, pretty much. Because there's a lot of churches who want to be so much like the world that they're not salty. It's just real. I don't know what else to say. They, they might as well be a, a, a glee club or something because there's no truth there. They want to make sure that they're appeasing everyone in a pew, not pleasing the Lord. I love it when Leonard Ravenhill says, if a person is intimate with God, they'll never be intimidated by man. Amen? We see here that he begins to tell us the expectations. We're the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Christians, we must never lose track of the fact that one of the main purposes we have is to glorify the Father, to glorify God in what we do. And as we look at tape this morning, I would ask you to review your tape and to look and to examine ourselves and say, how are we doing? And how are things? Are we glorifying God in our actions, in the things that we do? In verse 17, he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And he has to say these things because he's constantly being accused by the Pharisees, by the church folks. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. God is a good God. He loves us. blesses us, he completes us, he rewards us. And his expectations are for us to be the salt and the light of the earth. And that we not lose our saltiness. Now, I'm not talking about the saltiness of, that we talk about like with some of us older people get a little salty. And that's not what this is. This is the good salt. This is the flavor of Christ. So what's the point? The point for us this morning is indeed every day to understand what being a new creation is. That we'll use this time hopefully for this transition into 2022 to be 
a better man or woman of God than we were last year. Not because of our actions, but because of our love for Christ and knowing that He is in us and what He's going to do. That everything, everything is a result of the work of the cross, the resurrection, and the Holy Spirit in our life. Everything that you do as a Christian is wrapped up in those. He died for sin and took away the sin of the world. We don't have to walk into it. You're not a slave to sin any longer. Those things that you think that entangle you, and I have them, you think, we think they entangle us, but they do not have the power over us any longer. Christ dealt with it at the cross. We must examine ourselves. I believe that even as Jesus is presenting His teaching on the Beatitudes that He knows full well that not one person can carry any of that out, without Christ in them. In other words, he knows that he must die and be resurrected and send the power of the Holy Spirit for them to accomplish this. And sure, some of us have some of these traits just naturally because we're made in the image of God. I don't buy the fact that we're just filthy rags. We, we're like filthy rags, but we're made in the image of God. He has made each one of you. And he's made you special and you have a purpose and a plan in his eyes, that he wants you to fulfill. And he's, even as he presents this teaching, he knows that they can't carry it out, but he knows what's going to happen to help them. And I think that's, uh, that's what he sees. He, and, we, and if we're honest, we know that these beatitudes cannot be fully obtained without the work of the cross because it really isn't natural for us to be merciful. It really isn't natural for us to be kind, to be gentle. We do, we are. That isn't natural. The fall took care of that. And it cannot be fully obtained without the work of the cross, the miracle of the resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think Jesus is laying this out. He's like describing the destination of a journey. Jesus is teaching what Christianity is so that when you arrive there, you'll know what it looks like. And it makes me think of uh, giving someone directions. And when you give someone directions, you say, hey, go down here, make a right, go down here, turn left, go down here, go straight for a mile, whatever you're telling them to do. But you always tell them at the destination. But listen, when you get to the house that has the white columns and the black lights on it and there's a horse in the yard and a dog out back and there's a description of it, then you'll know that you are there. You understand? And Jesus gives us the Beatitudes for us to examine ourselves to say, when you be merciful, when you be, be kind and you're gentle, you'll know you're there. You know you've come to where he wants you. He's describing the victorious life of blessing for those who have said yes to him and have made a decision to make him their Lord and Savior that have said yes to following him. These are not beatitudes that we are to try to obtain in the flesh. These beatitudes are acquired only by the power of Christ in us as we are transformed by the power of the Spirit and we submit ourselves to his will. Then these beatitudes will be the fruit of it. We talked earlier about the trees and the fruit and the seed. And this is our new identity. This is what being a new creation as Christ is. An identity that we say we are the salt and the light and that God will be glorified. Can you say amen? And our whole purpose this morning, Lord, is to come before you and say, Lord, help us change. And Lord, we're not satisfied with who we are. Lord, we... We know ourselves, but you know us even better than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, we fell short. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we say, Lord, we cannot do this alone. We say, Lord, we want to take this time of a new year, perhaps, to, to stop and think and reflect and, and watch tape. And, Lord, that we might look at how we're doing on the fundamentals. How are we doing on the basics? Lord, could you speak to us that we would want to be more loving and kind and gentle, more humble. Lord, that we would see others as you do. Lord, that you would help us with our walk this year. That we not walk blindly into a new year, but Lord, we walk into it with hope. 
Lord, that we see a world that is upside down and in, in so much trouble. And Lord, they need you. And Lord, you have sent your church to bring forth the word that we would proclaim, that we would teach. And yes, Lord, we would even bring healing in the precious name of Jesus. And so, God, we ask that you would work in our hearts this new year. That we would be different. And as we even go back and review and study these Beatitudes, that we would realize that this is nothing that we can do on our own, but only can be fulfilled by the work that you've done for us, Lord, and that you've prepared the way. And we bless you for it, and we give you glory, and we thank you, God. And Father, just like we learned earlier with Joshua tells them, to behold, the Ark of the Covenant goes before you. And Jesus, you are before us. You are the word that became flesh that we might know and see and do the things that you've required us to do. That we might glorify the Father in heaven just as you did, Lord. So we bless you and praise you and give you all the glory this morning and we say thank you. And let me just share if there's anyone here that wants to make a new commitment for the year or just wants to dedicate their life for the first time to Christ that the altar is open. We will be here to pray for you. You're welcome to come forward. If you just want a fresh start and a new touch from God, if you feel like you're that leaf that has fallen to the ground or that acorn that you're not dead, that God is just getting started with you and you want prayer for that this morning, then please come. Otherwise, we want to bless you this morning and send you on your way with the excitement into 2022 that God is risen. And we serve a risen Savior, that he loves you and wants the best for you and desires you to follow him. And I bless you this morning and send you out and say, go to all the world and teach and preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they may know who he is, the true and living God. And so we bless you this morning, God, and we praise your holy name and we give you all the glory and all God's people said, Amen, amen. Well, you're dismissed this morning. I pray it's not been too heavy. I pray that God's working in your heart and stirring you up. And you're blessed this morning. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Amen? Amen. amen. See your neighbor before you go. Tell him you love him. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. You know, we would love to invite you to come and visit us in person sometime. If you're ever in our area, you can find us at 415 Union Street in Milton, Delaware, where we have prayer and worship services on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., Bible study on Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., and a Sunday morning worship service at 10.30 a.m. We would love to minister to your children as well. We offer children's church during the adult service. Children are excused to go back to their classes right after the worship time. You can also find more information about us on the web at unionstreetmeetinghouse.org or on Facebook at Union Street Meeting House. So we look forward to sharing the message with you next week. Hope you'll return to this podcast. Thank you so much and God bless you.